Hey everybody, welcome to episode 62 of Waking Up to Narcissism. I am your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, host of the Virtual Couch podcast and many podcasts to come. And I'm trying to make this really easy now too. If you go to the show notes, wherever you listen to this podcast, there should be a link, a link tree that when you click on that, it will have all the information you need from the latest episodes of, of any of the podcasts that I am involved with, as well as a way to sign up for my newsletter and also a way to sign up for my marriage workshop. And then when my updated marriage course is out, that will all be there too. So please just sign up for the newsletter. That's probably the easiest thing to do. And I still want to hear all of your questions and your examples and your stories. And if you are a woman who is waking up to the narcissism or emotional immaturity in your relationships, whatever they may be, or if you are the man who is waking up to the narcissism in your relationships, I want to hear from you. We already have a thriving women's Facebook group and putting together a men's group as well. And if you happen to be the person that's saying, I think I am emotionally immature, that takes a lot of guts. And I want to hear from you too. And I want to help and, and put together a group that can address that population as well. So with that said, though, let's jump into today's, well, actually one more, one more thing, the release of the Waking Up to Narcissism question and answer premium podcast, which is on Apple Podcasts is going to happen this week. So just look for that. If you haven't already found it, you can find the Waking Up to Narcissism Q&A Premium Edition trailer or zero episode, which is free. And then the paid subscription-based episode will be out this week. And I've taken a couple of questions and answered those. And that will be a weekly subscription-based podcast where the proceeds will go to help people that need help that are in these emotionally immature narcissistic relationships. So let's get to today. It is a bit of a question, actually, and then, but there's a lot of different things that we're going to add into this question. I was forwarded a question by somebody that I, I really admire, I trust, and so I was really grateful for their vulnerability, and they said that someone close to them had, had reached out to them and said, any advice for a son who is finally waking up to his mother's marriage to a narcissistic man who happens to be his stepdad? So this is not her first marriage. And this person, he says, has isolated and abused her for over 30 years. He says his mom finally opened up to her kids, but she is staying and admittedly waiting for, and this is in quotations, a miracle. So all the kids are adults and they have marriages of their own. And it has absolutely been breaking their hearts to watch her walk back into the lion's den over and over again. But it sounds like this is one of the first times that she's admitted that this is not a healthy relationship. But she has admitted that and then willingly walked back into this lion's den. So the question was, how do they support, as uh, she has asked, when they want their mom back after all these years? They said they've watched her mask her life away. And now that they saw the mask come off, now they can't unsee it. And so let me first just say I drafted an outline of what I wanted to share, what I think could help this person. And then right before recording, I went back to the beginning, the outline. I ate a half a sleeve of Thin Mint Girl Scout cookies. That's a random confession, but I'm just being honest. And then I jotted down a few additional notes about safety. So let me start with a really quick, but I think it's a relevant story. A few years ago, I had a real brief window of opportunity to possibly look at hosting a call-in radio show, which, yeah, I think they're, those are still around, and it would have been for mental health. And I entertained the idea, and eventually, I honestly can't remember if the opportunity simply fizzled or if they never even got back to me. And what I think is kind of interesting, and I do want to bring this up, I think in my more emotionally immature days, when I was asked about this, I probably would have told you that, you know, I thought long and hard about it, and I eventually turned it down. And they came back begging, and I still told them no. But in reality, I really think it just fizzled away. 
But the reason I mention this is that I spent a few months thinking through answers in my head is if I had two to three minutes to answer a question that I really knew that I needed more information about. One of the funny things is when you first become a therapist and everybody knows that you are a therapist and they ask you for advice and questions and you, I want to say rather immaturely, provide that advice. And it comes in these little sound bites of two to three minutes when in those situations, all people really want is validation. They want to know that what they're doing is the right thing to do. And so you often want to tell them what you think that they need to do based off of what the latest thing you heard in a class is or in your trainings. But then I feel like over time, you start to recognize, oh, that person just wants validation. They just want to be told that what they're doing is right. And if you even do say, here's actually what my experience says, then you'll often hear, well, yeah, but this is, you don't understand. So really people want validation. And, and that was one of the reasons why I felt like that would have been a challenge to even take this opportunity. But then I did start looking at even the situations that were coming into my office on a daily basis. And I would think, man, how would you handle this in two to three minutes if you were trying to give somebody advice? And so this is where I feel like you just need more information. And this is a perfect example of one where when I first received this question, one where I would honestly, I would need to responsibly start by saying that you first need to tell your mom, if I'm talking to the guy, the seriousness of this uh, situation or this relationship and tell them that they ideally you would love if they would contact a therapist as soon as possible. Somebody that, that specializes in personality disorders or high conflict couples communication. And then to make sure that they set up a safety plan because you in your mind are going to feel like you've watched enough datelines to know what can happen. And while I agree that that really would be the best angle, an incredibly good angle to go, Here's where I just started thinking to myself, but I also know that not everybody is a mental health professional and most people are surprised when somebody finally does open up to them. And that is when there's typically a couple of responses. Unfortunately, so many people go immediately to Switzerland because they feel uncomfortable and they say, man, I hear you, but I'm sure, you know what? He's probably going through a lot himself. So have you talked to him about it? Have you really just let him know that this is something that's frustrating to you? And so if that is something that the person finally opens up to somebody and that's the response they get, then that's where a lot of times they'll feel like, oh, yeah, no, I need to go talk to him about it. Because that took a lot of guts for her to open up to somebody. And so when met with the Switzerland friend, you can see now how difficult that is. But then the other side of that coin is that if you are opening up to somebody, if somebody opens up to you and all of a sudden you think, okay, finally, they finally said it. Okay, you got to get out. That Then that can also feel overwhelming to this person. And so that's where I think when you look at it, the person receiving the information that they are going to feel a lot of emotions. They're going to feel anxiety. They're going to feel discomfort. And so if that is you hearing this confession from somebody that they are finally opening up to the fact that they are not happy in their relationship or they feel like it might be an emotionally abusive relationship, it's going to cause you a great deal of anxiety. And so make, make sure and check in with yourself of, okay, I got to sit with a little bit of this uncomfortable emotion and hear this person and listen to this person. So ideally, you'd be prepared for this admission and you would express empathy, extreme empathy, and curiosity, and compassion. Tell me more. What's that like? I am so proud of you. You're doing a really difficult thing, which gently, you know, while gently bringing awareness about the need for additional help and resources. So in that scenario, it's, again, I'm so grateful, and I am so proud of you, and that takes a lot of guts. And man, let me just t take you on my train of thought. It's hard because I really want to say, oh my gosh, go get your bags. Let's go. But I hear you, and I'm just, I, hey, I want to be here for you. And I worry about your safety. I can't lie. I'm a human and I care about you. And so that, that's hard for me to hear this. But again, I know this is your journey. So I am so honored that you have opened up to me. And so then just because for the sake of what I think happens to most is evidenced even by this very question, 
Because had the people whose mom finally opened up to them taken this route, they may have been writing you know, later with a success story of, hey, I just thought your listeners might want to know kind of a message. So please keep in mind that professional resources and safety plans are real, they are helpful, and they are absolutely necessary. But I also want to recognize that I know that a lot of the times people get this information and they have not heard a podcast like this. So they are a bit blindsided. So with that said, let's dig into what probably happens more often than not. So one of the things that I see the most are the people that that cut the mom off in this situation as a way to almost make a stand. I worked with an older woman who was involved in a romance scam. And that was bad enough in a story for another day because I honestly, I can see a lot of similarities in what, what happened to her in her romance scam versus what happens to people in narcissistic relationships from the extreme trauma bond of good. Oh, I just see the real him. And that's what I keep holding out for. To when he wants something, he gets mean and nasty and he makes no sense. To which the woman in the scam or in the relationship says that they just need to calm him down so that she can see the version of him that she loves. And how does she calm him down? Well, in the romance scam, it's money. It's literally buying gift cards, which is so crazy. And in the relationship with the narcissist, it's compliance. Or it's the mom in the situation making herself small, weathering the emotional storm to try to get back to peaceful waters and then keep the peace as long as she can, hoping that it will be the last time. The last outburst, the last time where he'll be that hurt or mean or dismissive. But regarding this romance scam, what truly broke my heart was that her family essentially stopped talking to her until she stopped talking to the romance scammer. But that isolation, that shame that the lady felt from her family's treatment drove her even further into the virtual arms of the romance scammer. And and I find that this is a similar situation that occurs in situations where a narcissist isolates or sequesters the mother in this situation. And then the entire reason that the narcissist slowly but surely cuts the wife's family out of the equation in this situation is twofold. One, that is the air he breathed, control. The narcissist is extremely emotionally immature, so the thought that his wife has her own opinions makes him uncomfortable not curious. And the fact that she talks openly with family or friends makes him uncomfortable. What are they talking about? Hey, tell me, uh, or better yet, let me be there in the room. But don't tell him. Let me be on the phone and let me be in the room and you put it on speakerphone and I'll just be over here minding my own business. But don't tell him. I mean, I'm just curious. I'm just curious what they're saying. Or let me see the text that you sent. Or even better yet, you know, I actually don't even like when you talk to them because you seem different, which translated means I begin to lose control over you. So if your adult children start talking about a vacation that they went on, then to the narcissist, he thinks, okay, so now my wife thinks that I'm a bad husband because I don't take her to those places. So then he may say out loud, I'm sure they can't even afford it. As a matter of fact, I know they can't afford it. Yeah, your son's in real estate, right? I mean, have you read about the market? It's horrible. So if they are, honestly, if they're taking vacations with the market like this, I guarantee you that they are leveraging everything for this. And as a matter of fact, he's probably going to ask you for money. And I know how much you want to bail your kids out with money, the money that I work so hard to make. And that drives me crazy. Like, seriously, I'll bet if you had it your way, you would just give them my money. Here you go. Apparently, my husband is just a bank. So let me give away all of his money to which then the wife in this situation would then find herself either apologizing or agreeing with him in order to calm down his anxiety. Now, they did not share that dialogue in this question, but if you were someone in a narcissistic relationship, I would imagine that scenario I just played out would seem very real to you. And if you are fortunate enough to not have ever encountered a relationship like that, please know that I could pull these examples out for the next few hours right off the top of my head, simply just thinking about the real example shared in my private women's Facebook group or honestly in sessions over the past few weeks. 
or the letters that come in on a very regular basis. So back to the scenario. So I think we should step back too and take things from the angle of the mother. So let's take a second and talk about sitting with discomfort. The family members who are waking up to their mother's marriage are now mad, they're sad, they're frustrated, all types of feelings. I'm sure a lot of the feelings and some I'm sure that I could share if I wanted to check the explicit box before posting this episode. But I do believe that often we want to fix a situation immediately to ease our own feelings of discomfort and anxiety and anger and you name it. But helping somebody recognize and then change their relationship with a narcissist is, here comes a cliche, but it's a good one. It's not a sprint. It is not even a marathon. We are talking an ultra marathon. And as somebody who has completed a few dozen ultra marathons, including a handful of races over 100 miles, let me tell you, the long game is fascinating and it can wear you down. And you're going to feel like you hit a wall in your relationship, even with this person who is with the narcissist over and over. But you'll also find yourself getting your second and third and fourth wind. Because if you don't beat yourself up, and if you note that, okay, that happened, whatever the problem in the relationship is that happened, and you tried a certain way, maybe you tried to go big, maybe you tried to isolate your mom and get her to talk to you without him knowing, and then that didn't work well, but just know that that doesn't mean the race is over. So if you continue to show up whenever you can, even if it's just sending, hey, just thinking about your texts, or intentionally just staying in contact as the narcissist will begin to isolate or sequester their spouse as a way to control the flow of information. So just know that you do not have to make every interaction one to say this way to the exit of the relationship, although you really will want to. You know, an example that I like to share in this kind of a situation is one of parenting a teenager. So in this scenario, your adult mother becomes a teenager. And I remember at one point, my wife and I come into a realization and thankfully being able to communicate with one of our teens in particular, that what was that communication like with us? Because we felt like when we would say, hey, champ, how was your day? That we would get back, we wouldn't really get back any information. The answers are really short. So let me kind of skip to the end of this example. We'll work backwards. We eventually learned that shortly after how was your day, champ, we would then pepper in a nice round of, did you do and fill in the blank? You know, did you finish your homework? Did you clean your room? Did you thank your grandma for the gift? Were you still going to turn in those late assignments? So we learned again, thank goodness, that the teenager has feelings and emotions as well. And that their own experience of us began to look like one where our initial curiosity, how was your day, was just a warm up to what we really cared about. Did you do these things? So that was a way for us to ease our own anxiety by wanting our teen to do things so that we felt better. So I believe that the mother in this situation is, is maybe experiencing a similar thing if every time we talk to this, the mom, if we are trying to pepper in our own thoughts and feelings of what we want her to do to make us feel better. So, you know, I believe that the mother in this situation is aware of the unhealthy nature of her relationship with this second husband or third husband, just as she may be aware of your disapproval of the husband, just as she is also aware that when you express frustration to her, that you would love for her to leave, or when you pull away from her, saying that you just can't support her relationship with him because that only causes her to feel like she is, uh, is of value if she does what you need her to do. Just as she is living in a marriage where she feels like she has to do what he wants her to do as well, that that's the only place that she has value as well. So this clearly won't be the case in every situation, but I have been fortunate enough to meet with the women or the men who are the the mom in the story on occasion, and they so often want a safe place to talk or to laugh or to not feel controlled and not have to manage other people's emotions. So when I say that it's a long game, I feel like so often 
Step one, after somebody even slightly mentions the distress in their relationship, sure, you're a human being. You first want to rescue them and thank them for finally reaching out, admitting that we've all known this for years and thank you. And I assume you have a bag packed and you're ready to go now, right? But oh no, they feel like perhaps they shouldn't have said anything because that causes them a tremendous amount of anxiety for you wanting them to do more right now. Now, it it took a tremendous amount of courage for them to finally get to the point where they could even say that something might be bad in their marriage. So I would encourage you to maybe take a step back, look at it that way. You know, as a therapist, let's say I've been working with this woman and it has taken a long time for me to get to the point where I can convince, I was going to say convince or, or better, I guess, better stated, encourage this woman to finally identify safe people that she could open up to. And then what would that situation look like? And what would she even say? How would she open up to this person? And then when they finally open up, then she's already overthinking the response that's going to happen from her adult children. So it it takes a lot of work to encourage this woman to open up. And then uh, even again, if it's ever so slightly to somebody in the family, and they may be so anxious to do so, that they simply just need you to say, thank you so much. Again, I can only imagine how hard that was. And I'm proud of you. And I want you to know that I am a safe place for you. And while I want to go say, grab a bag and leave right now, and here's where I, I love a little humor, maybe asking her, I mean, if that is what you're saying, then we can do that. But I'm just grateful that you opened up and you shared that with me. You know, is there anything I can do to support you right now? How would you like for me to show up for you? you know, I really do believe that to be heard is to be healed. And when someone offers you this gift of vulnerability, know that it is perfectly normal for you to be hit with such a strong bout of the feelings that you will most likely want to rescue them immediately. But this is still their life, which they may not have felt in control of. So give them the gift of their own self-discovery. Let them be the captains of their own ship, but be the very best. What are they called even? It's not a first mate, is it? Assistant captain? That doesn't sound right. That you can be, and we're not talking about, I grew up with Gilligan from Gilligan's Island, a horrible first mate or assistant captain. No, we're talking about, I guess I should have thought that one through because I can't really pull a great first mate out of my back pocket. But now you have this amazing opportunity to stand beside them on this journey, help them interpret what they are seeing, what they want to do next, and then you get to be the one to help them work through the yeah buts. Well, yeah, but I don't know where I could even go. Mom, we have an extra room. Yeah, but it'll take all of the money. Mom, we can go get a free consultation with an attorney. I'll go with you and they can put your mind at ease. And we can come up with a safety plan so we can address as many of the variables as possible that those can be addressed. It's interesting because I feel like if you see where we're going next is I remember when I was in grad school as a therapist and having one of my favorite professors, Darlene Davis, my sensei, I had her on my virtual couch podcast so long ago. She has an amazing story around dealing with chronic pain and making this incredible decision to, in essence, just say, okay, this is my identity versus using that as a catalyst or a catapult to then do bigger things and better things for her. But Darlene did this exercise once where she basically rearranged the room with a lot of desks and chairs all messed up in the middle. And then she stood at one end of the room and she had one of the budding young therapists on the other side. And she said, okay, go take a left and go over there and walk around that desk. And now step up over that desk and basically walk the person over to the other side of the room. And we didn't really know what was going on. She was amazing with these experiential exercises. And she said, all right, how was it? What do you think? And I remember the person just looked at her and said, it's fine, I guess. And then she had another person get over on the other side of the room again. And she went over and stood beside him and said, where are we going? And the person said, I don't know, I guess the other side of the room. She said, okay, let's do it. And then he said, which way should I go? 
And then she said, which way are you thinking? What do you think? And he said, I, well, I guess I could go this way. Okay, well, what's that like for you? Well, I don't, you know, I don't want to have to climb over this desk. Well, what else do you want to do? And well, I, I guess I could crawl under it. Okay, well, you know, what, what's that like for you? And it may sound, I don't know. I don't know how it may sound for you to hear that. But I felt like that exercise was pretty amazing because even when you start to become a therapist, I think you often feel like you are the person on the other side of the room and you're saying, okay, go over there and do this and do that. And what happens is that person may make it across the room, but then they're there and you say, okay, you did it. Great job. And in essence, you feel validated that you are really good at guiding people across rooms. But that person now is across the room and they're thinking, I don't even know what to do now. And I don't even know how to get back across the room. So one of the most powerful things you can do is to be there by the side of that person that's opening up to you and then saying, what, where do you want to go? And how can I support you? How can I show up for you? What can I do for you? So if somebody is saying that they are opening up to you for the first time, I think so often we want to say, okay, then here's what you do. You walk in the room, you reach up in the closet and you grab your suitcase and you put it down and you unzip it and you open it and you pack it. And if the person is even doing that, all of a sudden they're saying, okay, now what? Now, okay. Oh, wait, no, he's going to freak out. I can't do this. And now I feel bad I even said anything to you because he's going to find out and I shouldn't have told you. And now I need to, I need to go back in and I need to isolate and I need to make sure that he doesn't find out because if he does, then he's going to get really mad. And so I think you can see that it really can be more beneficial to look at this as what an incredible opportunity to stand right beside somebody as they are going through this period in their life and what an honor for you to be the person that they are opening up to. And so it, as you build that trust and as you express that empathy, and you build that connection, then that person's going to feel safe enough where you can start to maybe offer your advice or they're going to feel safe enough to start to say, what do you think I should do? And even then, be careful because if you say, well, I think you should leave, then sit back and get ready for the yeah, buts. Well, yeah, but I don't even know where to go. And just know that you as the person that is that this person is coming to, that if we can get to the yeah, buts, we're getting somewhere. We really are. But then if you can still stay in that, well, tell me what you think. And that example of having somebody even talk to an attorney is one that I think it takes so long for somebody to go just talk to an attorney. And I'm talking about just going to do the free consultation. And guess what? You can go to a lot of free consultations. It's not like they have a little database and everybody gets together in your area and says that this person already got their free consultation. No, I would recommend that you write down the questions and you get a free consultation and then Maybe after the first one, you realize I had no idea what I was even asking or looking for and then write down some questions and then go to another consultation because one of the narcissist or the emotionally immature person's greatest uh, opportunities to control is controlling that flow of information. And I find it so fascinating when I have a couple in my office and things are starting to go the route of emotional immaturity and we're looking at this might not be a viable marriage that as the more we'll just go with the pathologically kind person starts to find their voice and express it and have opinions, which again is the goal. That is what we are here to do in life is to discover who, who we are and what makes us tick. And if we are in relationships where that's encouraged, it's incredible because that person is also finding themselves. And we are two people that we are now attacking the world. And we are just, we are supporting each other and asking each other what your experience is like. And I'm sharing what my experience is like. And we're processing emotion in concert with another human being. But when that isn't happening, then what is happening is the control of this other person. And, and so back to the scenario, if, if we're in my office and somebody is starting to say, okay, I don't know if this relationship is viable, then that's where I often hear the more emotionally immature person, whether it's the husband or the wife, start to say, okay, well, good luck working on your own. Or I've always been the one that has the money and nobody's going to want to marry somebody that has four kids or, hey, you never finished school. So what's that going to look like? And so they will often 
express these sentiments, statements, or put out these vibes or these emotions that are going to make this doom and gloom vibe just come right over into the office. And so knowledge, I think it's Schoolhouse Rock taught us this back in the 80s, knowledge is power. And so there are opportunities to, to get answers for things, whether it is the internet, whether it is a consultation with somebody, whether it is a support group, a therapist, or whatever that looks like. I highly encourage you that if you are being told all of the answers by the person that you now are recognizing may not be the safest person, then that is one of those situations where the person is saying, oh, no, no, I know you can't trust me on a lot of other things, but you can trust me when I'm telling you about how scary things are going to be and what it's going to look like for you if you leave. Oh, no, those don't go together. So finding out information is just an incredibly powerful thing for, uh, I mean, information is, is there, it's available, and you need to be the keeper of your own information, not continually wanting someone else to tell you what you're supposed to think, feel, or do. I guess in conclusion, wrapping this up today, how do you support that person? You be there and you express your how grateful you are that this person feels like they could even trust you with a, even a little bit of that story that that must be hard for them if they got to this place where they felt like they could open up to you. And this is where if you do get an opportunity to ask the person or to be more curious with them, then I think one of the best things you can do is to start to explore, well, tell me what that miracle will look like. And, and then if you can just start having conversations around that, then I think that will be incredible. The therapy model I love, again, acceptance and commitment therapy, one of my favorite books by author Russ Harris is called The Confidence Gap. And that sentiment alone is just so powerful. What The Confidence Gap book is saying is that we often feel like, well, when I am confident, then I will do the thing. So in this scenario, it's waiting for the miracle or it's, you know, when I finally have my confidence up, then I'll go. But ironically, with the confidence gap, what the acceptance and commitment therapy really teaches is that in order to get the confidence, we often have to do the thing. But then when we say, I'm going to do the thing, so in this scenario, I'm going to start speaking my own voice, that might give us a little dopamine bump of, yeah, that feels right. But then sit back and listen to the yeah buts. Yeah, but I don't even know what to say. Or yeah, but what if he gets mad? Or yeah, but, yeah, but. And I think what is important to note here is that our brain desperately, especially in a time where we may feel like we are unsafe in our relationship, our brain's going to feel like we have to have all those yeah buts worked out. We have to have the answers and the solutions and we need certainty because that is scary. And if we go back to the way the brain wants certainty is so adorable yet frustrating because we have this concept in our mind where we, we know what Two plus two equals four feels like, ah, that feels, that feels certain. And now we want, we desperately want that same aha feeling with all the decisions that we make. So especially these complicated ones. And so those yeah buts are there. And then our brain is saying, yeah, but I do. I need to have all these things addressed before I jump out into the great abyss. And that sounds really scary. And so it does become almost this uh, balance between recognizing that I will yeah but my brain the, the don't get killed device in my brain until I want to say the proverbial cows come home, not even knowing what that really means. But I could, yeah, but all this uncertainty forever. But at some point, then I need to know that I have these people, these safe people that are there for me that aren't going to continually tell me this is what you need to do. And they're going to be there to hear my yeah, buts. And there are going to be some of those yeah, buts that they may be able to address the yeah, but financially, oh, we can work through that. And that's going to lead to a, yeah, but what if that doesn't last? Or what if that isn't enough? So I just want to acknowledge the fact that that's going to be part of this process. 
And the more that that person feels safe and being able to know that they were able to express that this relationship seems hard to somebody and that person didn't then judge them, want them to immediately leave that very second. Well, they may want them to, but they know that that isn't what that person has to do in order to still be cared about. That then that person, and I'm going back to the mom in this scenario, that now what it feels like to be her is she has been on a journey, no doubt a journey of awareness, a journey of starting to want more or starting to not acknowledge that she doesn't feel safe. So then she did open up very briefly and let her children know that this is really difficult, but I'm going to, I'm going to hang in here and wait for the miracle. And if we can recognize that that's a miracle in itself, that she was able to self-confront, acknowledge, be vulnerable enough and turn to you, that even if you then have that feeling that you want to just send a SWAT team in there and rescue her right now, and if you had it all your way, you would in fact do that because you feel very confident that that would ultimately be what was best for her. But understanding that you don't know what it is like to be her, and there's a lot going on there of what that feels like to be her. So just revel in the fact that she has opened up to you, and this is your opportunity to maintain that relationship. And it doesn't always have to be about here's what you need to do, and here's a podcast that says you are really in danger, and here's an article that says, because now those are not going to be out of the question. You, I still want you to be however you want to really feel like you show up authentically, but just know that being able to provide that safety for that person over time, it is going to allow them to then, if, if and when they are ready to say, I am done, they are going to go to you. And they know that you're not going to say, I told you so, or it's about time, that they know that you are going to say, what can I do to help? Tell me what this is like for you. How can I show up for you? Because that's how you've been showing up ever since they, they really opened up to you. So again, I'm just, I'm grateful for these questions. And I feel like there's so many different principles that we can talk about when we just break down a question. I, I guess in the essence, this would be then a plug for the Waking Up to Narcissism premium question and answer episode. Because on the free episodes, these, the ones that you're listening to now, we're going we're gonna to go in a lot of different directions and talk about a lot of the traits and, and characteristics of narcissism. And we're going to break down the definitions of, and we're going to do a lot of the stories of what people have been through. And over there, we're going to just specifically focus on the questions because I have more questions than I could answer in the next two or three years. So we'll get to those. But if you have questions and if you don't know where to turn and you don't feel like you can reach out to anybody and you are you're not in a position where you feel like you can embrace counseling or afford counseling, try to just find somebody safe that you can just start to talk to, communicate with, or shoot me an email, contact at tonyoverbay.com. Let me know your questions and, and just know that again, you are on a journey and you're there. If you are listening to this, that means you've taken a lot of big steps along that path of self-discovery, of awakening, and there, the, the path it's going to be bumpy at times. There's going to be some juts in the road, maybe some big boulders or rocks, but eventually it is going to lead to a place where you are going to feel like you get to be yourself because that is absolutely okay to have your own thoughts, feelings, emotions, opinions, and to not have them continually questioned or put down or not you questioning your own reality. Because it turns out that the person who is designed to know the most about you is you. So if you're in a relationship where somebody else is continually thinking that they know you better than you know yourself, then I worry that it's because they have created a version of you that they need to feel this control over. So then therefore they know that version of you that they've created better than you do because that's not you. That's you showing up trying to manage somebody else's emotions and anxiety or buffer for other people. 
And, and that is not you living your best, most authentic self. So let's get you heading toward that direction. And then we'll deal with all those yeah buts around the way. So thanks for taking the time today. And we will see you next week on Waking Up to Narcissism. 